0: It's Good to see you all this morning. Uh, again, my name is John Bales. I am one of the ministers here at Living Hope. And I'm just grateful to be with you this morning. I'm um, not, the, not the normal, I guess, preacher. Josh is usually up here. But this morning, uh, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be up here. I'm really thankful for you all. A couple of weeks ago, you guys blessed uh, the staff uh, with a potluck dinner and just the blessings of cards and thankfulness. And it just, it just really did my heart well. And so I just want to say thank you uh, on behalf of the staff and then um, me and my family. We're just grateful for you all. Um, this uh, this morning, as we kind of the next the next season we're going into is a season of Advent, like I kind of talked about. Not this Sunday, not starting this Sunday, but next Sunday we'll start our season of Advent. And really, what that is is a celebration of Christ's birth and this great anticipation of Christ's return. And it's a season of of praying and of fasting and of giving and being generous. And so, um, when I think about Advent, I think about Christmas and Thanksgiving. The first thing I think about, of course, is just a season of busyness. A season of where you're traveling, uh, you're going 100 miles an hour, and sometimes it feels very, very difficult to slow down, to stop, to listen, to be still, and to rest. And it's not lost on me that this can be a season for some of us where it is, it is dark, it's hard, uh, maybe that there's a seat at the table that's not filled by a loved one that you love that you've lost along the way. That can be a very tough season for you. Um, and I want you to know that's not lost on me, but it's definitely not lost in the Lord that he loves you in the midst of those things and he wants, he sees your pain and he wants to meet that. And so this morning, uh, as I, as I kind of think about all of those things, I want to talk about how to live an ordered life. How do we live in order life? How do I follow Jesus when I feel rejected, when I feel unwanted, hurt, and depressed? How do I follow Jesus when life seems really easy, when it seems smooth? Uh, when I get the job uh, that I always wanted, when I, when I got the raise, when, when everything I ever hoped for is actually happening, how, how do I give glory to the Lord in those moments? How do we take the low and high moments of life and still live faithfully to God? How do we do that? How is that possible for us who believe in Jesus? Following Jesus is just as much about inviting him into our pain as it is giving him glory for our successes. This is just about uh, inviting him into the worst parts of our life as it is saying, thank you, Lord, uh, for all that you've given me. So this morning, I think Jesus, he speaks to that. And we're looking at Luke chapter 12, verse 22 through 34. Jesus uh, teaches his disciples here and in turn teaches us how to live an ordered life and what that looks like. So if you have your scriptures, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And it'll be on the screen as well if you'd like to follow along. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food, and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store up food in their barns, for God feeds them, and and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add up to a single moment in your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't worry clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not distressed, not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that they are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat, And what to drink and don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God. And above all else, he will give you glory. He will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasures for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven will never get old or develop holes. Your treasures will be safe. No thief can steal and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, I thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to care in this way, Lord. And just grateful for the people here. God, I, I pray that you help me be a plain preacher. So plain that the kids in this room can understand what I say. Lord, you know, I've prepared and I've studied, Lord, but if you want to go in a different direction, I'll follow you because you're good and you're perfect and you're pleasing and you know exactly what the people in this room need. Lord, and I want that. Father, I just, I thank you for uh, the opportunity and I just pray that you speak through me this morning. Pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. As I was preparing for the sermon, I got some advice from Grady, Uh, my son. uh, He said... uh, I said, Hey man, I'm preaching on Sunday. He said, Hey, just don't go long. Just make sure, just just make sure it's not long. And so I'm going to do, I'm going to do my best, uh, to, to keep it, keep it, uh, concise here. Uh, this, uh, this teaching that Jesus teach on, he, uh, he is coming out of a teaching to the, on the rich, the parable of the rich fool. And he ends in verse 21 by saying, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have rich relationship with God. Jesus kind of turns to his disciples and intimately teaches teaches with them and just said, "This is something I want you to grab onto. This is what something I want you to hear and take to your heart." And he drives into the teaching of the crisis of order in our life that there can be a crisis. The world can kind of press in from the outside onto the inside. I think we can all feel that that even in the season, the season of Thanksgiving, Christmas, that things can begin to press in from the outside on into the inside and this teaching is how quickly, uh, that can incite worry and fear and really an unfocused life and a life that's out of order. Um, I want to show a picture really quickly before I kind of get into the teaching. This is a picture of, of my dog. Um, this is Hayes. Uh, and I'm not telling the story. So you guys like get emotional and cry. Hayes passed away the day we moved out of our house to move here. And, um, and so this is Hayes. He was 12 years old, great dog, but here's what you got to know about Hayes. He was a Weimaraner. And if you know anything about that breed, they're crazy, like insane, uh, very neurotic, does all kinds. He ate like two pairs of dress socks once survived it. He ate a plate of brownies, some burgers, different things like that. He was just a crazy dog. The thing about Hayes is that he always, he always knew that when we were going on vacation, do you have pets like that? When they know that you're kind of like getting ready to go on vacation, he would like crawl. I mean, he's huge. He's like 85, but he would kind of crawl into our suitcase or lay on top of it, get, start getting super worried about what was about to happen because his world was about to change. He was going to the kennel and, uh, he didn't much like that. He would get in the car, he would bark, he would whine, he would go nuts, you know, the whole way there. And we would get him in the kennel, kind of get him going. And then a week later, after we went, went on our trip, we would come and pick him up and, uh, he didn't bark so much anymore. He would sleep for like three days, uh, just completely exhausted because his outside world totally dictated what was going on on the inside. Everything around him dictated kind of how he acted, even like how he would respond to us. It dictated everything. And in the same way, I kind of see a lot of of me. They say sometimes you buy dogs based on your personality and theirs, you know, Um, but I kind of see a lot of me in that too, that a lot of times I can let the outside really dictate how I respond on the inside. And really Jesus here is teaching something different. He's saying that the inside should dictate how we see on the outside. He said that how, what goes on in here is, is really what matters. And we don't really need to worry about all the things of the world. We really need to f- keep our focus on the Lord. The inside of the heart would really affect the outside action. And, and what we order our lives around is central to how we live, Right? If we order our our lives around our job, that's, that's what we live for, our kids, our family, whatever that might be, whatever we order our lives around is central to how we live our lives. And here Jesus wants us to move from trusting and focusing on the many things of the world really to the one necessary thing in the kingdom, and that's Jesus. He wants us to move away from from looking to all the money, the possessions, all the things in the world that can press in on our life to cause worry and fear and strife, to really focus on the one necessary thing, and that's him. And Jesus, he uses uh, some things for us that we can all connect to, right? He uses money and possessions and worries and fears, and then he centers this entire section of scripture around this one verse, seek first the kingdom of God. And all your needs will be met. And so the big question here is, to start with, is what is the kingdom? And I know that, like, that's a really, really big question. We could spend most of our time talking about the kingdom of God. Um, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to spend my whole time on that. People have written a ton of books on the kingdom of God. And I want to kind of give a couple of uh, definitions from different people that I think sum up what the kingdom of God is. Jesus said the kingdom of God in Luke 13 is, is like a mustard seed and it's like yeast. It's something that starts really small, that's planted in our heart, our yes to him, and grows into something bigger, continues to make us look more and more like Christ. It's like yeast that's put in the dough. It's something that's unseen, but when you put it in the dough, it grows and doubles in size. It's advancing. It's moving forward. It's shaping us. It's moving us. And even at times when you think, man, I don't know if it, like if you watch a tree grow, you don't just stare at a tree and be like, oh, it's, it's all of a sudden grown. It's to take shape. In the same way, our yes to him, the kingdom of God is like something that's planted in our heart and it grows bigger and bigger and bigger. Dallas Willard, a crowd favorite, says this the kingdom of God is reigning. It's his reigning and his lordship over all things, over everything, over the entire cosmos, it's it's over the Milky Way, it's over our earth, it's over all the planets, and it's over our hearts. The kingdom of God is reigning over all these things. The kingdom of God is active. It's God's act of goodness informing us into Christ likeness. And we understand the kingdom of God by repenting of our sinfulness and becoming apprentices of Jesus. That we, we, we really order our life around Christ and then we become, become looking more and more like him to our friends, to our family, to those who look in on our life. Seeking the kingdom of God is saying that I want you to be Lord of my life. I not only believe in you and what you've done on the cross and the resurrection, but I accept and want your lordship over me. That Lord, I give my control over to you. Henry Nouwen is a, he's a Dutch priest and he wrote this about the kingdom of God. And I I like this because it's so, so tender. He says in God's kingdom, there's no countries to be conquered. No people to be dominated, only children to be loved. I want to read that again. In God's kingdom, his kingdom, as God is the king, he doesn't, he doesn't look to conquer people or countries. He doesn't look to dominate others. He looks to love in his kingdom. I love that because I think a lot of times when we think about a kingdom, it's kind of like a tyrant, right? It's a lot of the kings that we read about; they they uh, they incite fear and worry. They're doing the very thing he's talking about not doing. But in God's kingdom, he incites us to love. He incites us to care for others. Jesus knew how to get the, the attention of the disciples and he gets, he gets our attention too when he talks about money and possessions and worries and fears. These are areas of our life that can be, definitely uh, be out of order. Like other times, Jesus uses his context to explain what he's talking about. Jesus first shows us his deep love for us. Before he ever gets to us like go and seek the kingdom, he tells us how much he loves us by talking about the ugliest bird ever made, the raven. I mean, that bird is, uh, is not, not fun to look at, right? He chooses a bird uh, that's definitely marginalized in the bird kingdom. Uh, it's ugly, it's unclean. Uh, and he says this about them. There, there's no, no barns for them to store up their food. There's no place to raise their own. They don't raise their own crops, but the Lord cares for them deeply. What the world could look at and pushed to the side, Jesus says, I care for them. And how much more would I care for you? He looks at the lilies in verse 27. Look at the lilies and how they grow. And in other translations, he says, consider the lilies and how they grow. Don't, they don't work or make their own clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully about the flowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will care for you. I think about the lilies and he tells his disciples to consider and the word consider there means to look deeply at, to consider the lilies. Look, look, if you take a flower and you, if you look at it from far away, you can't see all the beauty of it. But if you take hold of the flower and you look deeply at it, you can look at the finer details of the beauty in it and how deep he cares for the little things and how much more he cares for us. And he reminds them in the ravens and with the lilies that he gives them all they need, everything they need to survive in every single season of life. And whatever season that they are in, he provides for them so that they might grow and they might be cared for. God takes great pride in something, again, not thought of, you know, like... I think that he is so kind in the middle of this to remind us that these are things that, uh, like a lily, um, it's just a normal old run-of-the-mill flower he cares so deeply for. And, and they may seem marginalized, but he, he, these are the two examples that he uses. He says, I, I care so deeply for these things. The ravens and the lilies live without fear because they trust their maker. They trust the creator. They know that he will provide in every season of their life. And in the process of all of this, he reminds us worry over worldly things can really upend our heart and our mind. Verse 25 and 26, it says this, can all your worries add up a single moment of your life? And if worry can accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? I think worry... um, that's, that's a tough one because really worry exists because we want to take control of our own life. We want to take control of everything. And, and really uh, we're, we're saying, Lord, we, we can ultimately do it better. And it incites worry and fear in our hearts. And, and Jesus reminds us, it really does us no good in these moments to worry. What's better is for us to trust him in the moments of being fed in our life. To trust the Lord in the process of, of what it means to follow him. And him to show his glory through us. In verse 29 and 30 he teaches it again. He says and don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. These things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows what you need. It's good to plan and prepare and those types of things. But it's not, it's not good to worry about all the ways it could go wrong. It's okay to, to plan for your life. It's actually a good thing to do. But to really trust the Lord is not, not thinking constantly about all the ways it can go wrong, but to say, Lord, I trust you in the balance of these things. And I know that you will see me through. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is one of my favorite verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him. Your father knows your needs. And Jesus, again, in his kindness, reminds him about worry, kind of a negative section of scripture about his worry and fear. That stop focusing all those things on possessions and money. And he turns to this positive solution. He gives them two. The first one is, is to seek first the kingdom of God. To seek me and all you do. Order your life around me. Order your life around God the Father and you will get all you need. And the second thing is one that's not real popular is he says, sell all your possessions, the things that are keeping you from following me, get rid of them, move them out of your life so that you can hear and see me clearly. But he doesn't leave us without a promise in verse, uh, in verse 32, it says, so don't be afraid little flock for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. I love that scripture don't be afraid. The, the idea, the, the scriptures on fear, they're all through the Bible. Uh, you know, fear not uh, the very, one of the very first covenants in G, in Genesis chapter 15, verse one with Abraham, he tells Abraham, do not be afraid for I'll protect you and reward you. And your reward will be great. He reminds us over and ag- over and over again, do not fear, do not be afraid. Because it's my great pleasure to give you these things because inside the kingdom, you will find rest. You will find peace for your heart and your soul. God's kingdom is the only kingdom resting in perfect order. And all of the kingdoms have failed, including our own. Every kingdom you'll ever read in history books, you'll find that they ultimately fall apart and they fail. But God's kingdom has been reigning from the beginning of time. And it's in perfect peace and in perfect order and perfect rest. And really that's the struggle. That's the struggle for us and for me, is to seek the kingdom of God first in my life, to order my life around the Lord. Not the kingdom of money and power, of fame, or the kingdom of me, but the kingdom of the one who provides the only hope that matters. Jesus teaches and says an order of uh, ordered life seeks the kingdom of God first in everything that you do, and you begin to see the world, you begin to see people, your own sinfulness differently. I remember Audrey. Many of you all know Audrey. She uh, she has glasses, kind of running around doing her thing, um, and I think she met more people than I did the first week we were here. Um, but she uh, she hasn't always had glasses. Uh, when she was about a year, I guess a year and a half ago, uh, we noticed that she would be watching the screen at home or reading a book and she would all, even taking pictures, she's kind of squinting one eye. And so Aaron and I were talking about it and we were like, you know, maybe, maybe we should go to the eye doctor. Maybe something's going on there. And so we take her to the eye doctor and they, they do the eye check. It turns out she needs glasses, not only just little glasses, like we're talking thick Coke bottle glasses, like she can't see nothing, you know? And so, um, Aaron got her in the car. They bought the first pair of glasses and she, uh, was in the back seat. She put these glasses on. And the first thing she said, she said, I can see the leaves, mommy. And talk about heartbreaking for like parents. You hadn't seen the leaves like your whole life, (laughs) you know, like what's going on here. Uh, but when she put those glasses on, everything was put into perfect order. She could see the leaves for what they are. She could see the detail, the finer details of life. And that's true of us. When we put on the kingdom lenses, when we seek the Lord first in our life, we put these lenses on and things that become broken become fixed because of the Lord. Where there's darkness, there's light because of him. And we begin to see things how Jesus sees them. We can see the lilies and we can see the ravens. We can see the things Clearly, Jesus is not telling us here that we need to leave the many things of our life. You know, we have to work, we have family, we have things going on. He's saying here that our lives in the midst of those things, they must be ordered around Jesus. They must be ordered around his kingdom. So really the question that I want to answer in how to live an ordered life is how do we seek, if, if it is seeking the kingdom of God first and ordering everything around him, how do we do that? How do we order our life around the Lord? How do we follow him on a daily basis that says everything that I do, whether it's work or play or deep down in my heart, how do we do these things? And here's some things I'd like to offer you this morning to take home. First, is that we have a commitment to Christ, that our hearts are totally committed to him. Romans 5, 8 reminds us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that we realize this death, burial, and resurrection was for for us and that he forgave us of our sins. And really we say, we submit our life to you, Lord. When we say yes to him, we're saying we submit to your lordship over our life, but we will seek the kingdom first. We seek the kingdom of God by committing to Christ. Also, that we guard our hearts, that we are guarding our hearts daily. What are we putting in here? Proverbs 4.23 calls the heart the wellspring of life. Jesus talks a ton about the heart all the way through. He, at the very end, wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. My dad, my, my dad used to tell me, John, when I was a kid, I hated it. He would always tell me, whatever you put in that, in that old heart of yours is eventually gonna come out. You know, it turned out to be true. You know, if I, if I'm putting worldly things into my heart, eventually those things will come out. So how are we guarding our hearts? The enemy will lie to us on a daily basis. We wake up with these things where he lies to us and tell us uh, some negative thoughts, negative emotions about who we are or who God is. And we, the scriptures tell us that we have to take all of those thoughts captive in guarding our hearts and making sure that those lies are met with the truth of the gospel and we have to take delight in him. Psalm 37, four says that if we take delight in the Lord, then he gives us the desires of our heart. I think we missed the first part a lot of times. Taking delight in something is giving yourself, like immersing yourself totally in it. I think about, um, I, got to, I got to hold baby Slade the other day and rock him, uh, Jeremy and Amber's baby. I'm gonna tell you, I was delighted. Like I took total delight in that, like Tom stopped and stood still for me just to hold that baby. And taking delight in the Lord is where time stands still almost. And you take, you just give yourself over to it and just enjoy the goodness of the Lord. And that he is not after you, but he is there to love you and care for you and to shape your heart. But we must guard our hearts, must be careful to put the scripture of the Lord in our hearts. And we must ask him to speak to us. Not only that and committing to our, our life to Christ and guarding our hearts. but One area as I prayed about this sermon that I, I want to talk about is that we refuse to compartmentalize our life. Giving God permission to work in every area of our life. Really saying, Lord, I, I want you to reign over every single part of my life, of my heart. That means that he reigns over our money. They, and that, that he reigns over how we spend our money, uh, that we tithe and we give to the Lord. That it's not a burden, but it's an absolute delight because we're living in the kingdom of God. And we know that he is going to supply all of our needs. Every single one of them. It means that we refuse to compartmentalize our life when it comes to us as husband and wife. That we as husbands are fighting for our wives And that we are praying for them. We're praying with them. And we're looking them in the eye every day. And we're reminding them of who God made. And how he made them. And reminding them of of the great pleasure he took in our wives. And our husbands in the same way. And making them. To remind them of the truth. I can't tell you how many times I've had to have Aaron set across me. And remind me of who I am. Because I've forgotten along the way. that you fight for your marriage. Psalm 128 says that our wives should be like well-watered vines and our kids should be like olive shoots at our table. That we as husbands and fathers are creating an environment for our kids and our wives to thrive because we are seeking the kingdom of God first in our lives. Can't see my notes. And for us in this room who are single, we we trust him in our dating process and we trust him in our waiting for who God has lined up for you. That we trust him in those moments but all the while knowing the Father is a good Father as we seek him to be with us the whole time. Also, we refuse to compartment all our lives when when we talk about social media. That every post that we make that we ask the Lord, is this a post that is worthy of you? Is this something that honors you? Is this something that gives you glory? And that will help the body of Christ. He wants our worries. He wants our fears, our doubts. He wants the dark, stony places of our heart to do his work. So to seek the kingdom of God is to refuse to compartmentalize your life and say only Sunday is when it happens. It happens every moment of your life, every single day. One of the greatest obstacles I seek, or one of the greatest obstacles for me in seeking his kingdom first is to believe ultimately that I'm the best king that I can do it better. It's the original root lie, right? That the enemy told Adam and Eve, "Ah, oh, you don't have to listen to him. You can do it better. Turned out, didn't turn out too well. You know, I think that's for me personally, that's my biggest obstacle. It's, it's that I'll say yes to his obedience step, but I'll be like, in my yes, I'm going to do it. I want to do it my way. And that's just, just not how it works. He wants your yes, but he wants your yes to be all of you. Every single part. I hesitate to tell the story because I'll probably weep a little bit going through it. That's just who I am. Sorry. Can't change that. I, um, jeez. um, being the king, being the king of my own kingdom is something I love to oftentimes think i can do it better and i remember moving here uh for me it changed everything for me and how i went about doing the the life in general but also just my job you know like i went from uh, really um doing pretty much preaching every week or leading worship and doing all those things Um, and really i knew the lord had called me here it didn't matter that those things would change But uh, over the last eight months, God has begun to refine me, but he has begun to show me where I have been tried to be the king of my own kingdom. And those are the places where uh, he has really begun to refine me. And I've said, yes, you know, I'll come to I've come to Living Hope Fellowship if I get to do these things. The Lord's like, no, I just want your yes. And I'm like, hey, I want. Yeah, if I'll come to Living Hope Fellowship, if I get to do this stuff. And the Lord's like, no, I just want your yes. And I will show you great things, not because of you, but because of me working through you. And it's a reminder apart from him, I can do nothing. I cannot do it better than the Lord. I'm not smarter than him. He is the smartest. He knows everything. And sometimes I think I I can outsmart him. Sometimes I think I can do it better. But he wants our total yes to him. Every single part. And in the process of this, what does this do? Like when we commit our life to Christ, when we guard our hearts, when we refuse to compartmentalize our life, when we say, Lord, you can do it better than I can do it, what does this turn out? It turns out us being imitators of Christ. It's what Dallas Willard said. He said, we, this pursuit of the kingdom And living in the kingdom really shapes us into looking like Jesus. And that's what we want. That's what we want for us. And that's really what we want for our kids and the next generation is that they would look like Christ, that we would live a life of love and humility, that our enemies are people we absolutely would stand for and love. I mean, honestly, for me, the people who I've had the most trouble with are the ones God has called me to the most. And that's, that's true of, of the Lord. Our lives are never too busy to share Christ. Our jobs and careers are not just jobs and careers, but they are platforms to share Jesus. And seeing people as someone who either already has Christ in their heart or needs to be told about Jesus. We become imitators of Christ. It changes everything about our life. And what about the church? What about the big church and what about us here at Living Hope Fellowship? What does that mean for us? I kind of had this phrase that I used a lot um, in in the last church I was at, but it kind of made sense to me. It may not make sense to you, but that's okay. But in our individual faithfulness to God, in our individual seeking of the Lord, we have a collective focus on the kingdom that as we personally push in and press into the Lord as we push away the external and focus on our hearts. As we live a faithful life, there can't help but be revival of the heart. When the community comes together, that there is an absolute transformed life exchange life. And in turn, a community that lives that out the inside, the outside world will always incite fear and bring chaos and press in on our life. But we may we never stop saying we're never going to stop pursuing him, that we never stop fixing our eyes on him in every single season of life. And so this morning, I want to leave you with some questions as we kind of close out. Are there areas of your life you have compartmentalized? You said, no, I can be the king of that area of my life. Uh, I haven't sought the Lord first there. Are there areas you've compartmentalized and tried to do on your own? Are there ways that you need to guard your heart that maybe you haven't guarded it? Careful what you put in. Careful what that you're putting that you're putting God's word in and not things of the world. Is he Lord over all things in your life? Over your kids? Have you given your kids to him? Is he Lord over everything? And for us, for some of us in this room, not all of us, but sometimes it takes a deep repentance and asking the Lord to come in and show his kindness and love to us in those moments of pain and the moments of suffering or whatever that might be to realize that he is the great healer in every way. And so this morning I challenge you and I ask you to seek the kingdom of God first, seek his Lordship over your life and everything that you do in your job, in your career, with your family, with all things that you would seek him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I am just so thankful for you and I'm thankful for your kindness and your gentleness. Lord, in your love. And God, as we come and we, um, and we pray, Lord, and as we come and we seek you, Lord, teach us the areas of our life maybe that we have struggled to seek you first. That we've put other things in the way of that, that the world is pressed in on our life. Lord, would you show us those, Father, and would you teach us how to trust you in those moments? God, I pray that as we sing and worship, as we go from this place, that we would leave changed, knowing that you uh, are the great provider of all of our needs, and you love us dearly. We love you and praise the name of Christ. Amen. You guys can stand as we worship. Here at Living Hope, we have some ways to respond. You can come to the altar and pray if you'd like. Uh, the Lord's Supper is here for you to come and take. There's giving stations on the side if you'd like to give.